Stand by while NCLA cuts through the noise to signal abuse of administrative power. This is Administrative Static with Mark Chenoweth and John Vecchione. Welcome back to Administrative Static with Mark Chenoweth and John Vecchione. John, we've had so much winning uh, this uh, this last uh, week or two that there's a Supreme Court victory that we haven't talked about yet. Uh, if you can if you can believe that, uh, this was a case that NCLA filed an amicus brief uh, in. It came down, I believe, on on uh, May 17th, and the case is Federal Election Commission v. Ted Cruz. Uh, for Senate at Al, uh, number 21-12 at the at the Supreme Court. And the amicus brief by NCLA was uh, was written by uh, Rich Samp and Shang Lee. Rich was the was the counsel of record uh, and, and Shang uh, was a, a big contributor on that uh, as well. And uh, I and I had a little role uh, to play on that one. But uh, I we've invited Shang to join us uh, here today uh, to talk about uh, the case where um uh, NCLA didn't really participate in, in the entire case. There was just one piece of it that particularly bothered us, Shang. But welcome to uh, Administrative Static and, and set the stage for us here. What was this case uh, about? Thank you, Mark and John. Uh, yeah, this is a fun case. So this case is about uh, really about uh, the campaign finance and the First Amendment. But NCLA's piece of it was not uh, was a little different. It was involved in uh, the narrower issue of Article Three standing, which uh, journalists don't like to write about, but it's very important to us lawyers and practitioners. So what happened was under the 2002 uh, Bipartisan Campaign Reform Act, or BICRA, if a candidate loans himself money, he can repay it with pre-election dollars, but after the election happens, he can only repay up to $250,000 with money brought in after the election. So what Ted Cruz did in 2018 is he went out and lent himself $260,000, just slightly above the statutory limit. Deliberately. Deliberately, yeah. And that's, that's going to become an issue here. Um, and after the election, he, you know, under the statute, pay, repays himself $250,000 of that $260,000 loan. And he has this $10,000 left over that he just can't get back. And he says, oh, I'm injured $10,000. And he sues the uh, the Federal Election Commission for uh, for saying this BICRA's uh, Two hundred fifty thousand repayment limit is an unconstitutional burden on his speech. Now, we we at NCOA didn't get into the speech and versus campaign finance issue, but we we did instead is get into uh, whether Ted Cruz has Article Three standing. And the government uh, brought two arguments for why he doesn't have standing, meaning he doesn't get into a court because his injury was not caused by something the government did. And the first argument the government brought was that this was a self-inflicted injury. Uh, that he intentionally, uh, you know, loaned himself slightly above the repayment limits to create the injury himself. A, and, a self-inflicted injury, like when Rosa Parks uh, sat down uh, on the bus in, in Montgomery, yeah, precisely, uh, Alabama. In fact, in our brief, <laughs> we we take it all the way back to Plessy v. Ferguson, and uh, and uh, argue, hey, and, and you know, most people know, but that's the case where a black man walked onto a white-only train. Uh, in the 1890s and sued uh, for, you know, Jim Crow discrimination. 
And uh, we, we said, look, and, this... and, and lost and lost. Right, right. But certainly we can all agree he had standing. Right, right. And that's the case that Brown v. Board of Education uh, wound up overturning. overturned, yeah. right, like 58 and, uh, years later yeah, or something I, like that. And I checked right before coming to this podcast and, and various, you know, the, the Ted Cruz also argued that, you know, civil rights law, a lot of the seminal cases rely on this idea of uh, self-inflicted injuries, but we were the only ones to, you know, including take, deliberately self-inflicted. Deliberately, right. Yeah. Uh, we were the only ones to really uh, take it all the way back to Plessy. And at oral arguments, the justices really seized on this Plessy point and uh, pressed the government saying, hey, are you saying Mr. Plessy would not have had standing to challenge Jim Crow laws? Uh, and, and maybe this will be a, a, a... That was Justice Thomas's question, wasn't it? Uh, it was. And, and Alito yeah. kind of uh, riffed on that as well. <laughs> and and maybe the, the, the you know, the... I don't know if, there, if this term has any any uh, pattern. Perhaps it's that if you're on the uh, uh, if you're being questioned about Plessy, things might not turn out so well for you. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So, uh, so 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 that presaged the uh, the outcome here. So the, the court did think that that uh, yeah. So the, this idea that if Ted you get, Cruz for Senate had standing. Civil rights organizations, you know, civil liberties organizations such as ourselves, uh, rely on this ability to find uh, plaintiffs who are willing to violate a law that that is blatantly unconstitutional so that we can challenge the law and you know make society better for it right um, people may not realize that but the new civil liberties alliance can't just say hey there's a law that's unconstitutional we're going to sue and change it we have to have a client who's harmed by that law in order to have standing to sue right and if and if the and if, under the government's theory if uh you can't uh get into court by intentionally violating a law that you believe to be unconstitutional, uh, then then a lot of these, you know, meritorious challenges will never be uh, addressed by the court. And these unconstitutional laws will persist, um, you know, ad infinitum. And well, think, they'll persist and they'll have an interorum effect on people who aren't willing to challenge. Precisely right. If, if, if all it does is deters you uh, from, from violating the law, then the government will have, you know, gotten away with it, essentially. Um, and the the government's you know government's response to all of this is uh, a a 2012 or 2013 I can't remember the exact year uh, case involving Clapper involving uh, a bunch of journalists and activists who challenged surveillance uh, NSA surveillance by saying ah we uh, uh, we're taking long plane trips to see our clients so we don't our electronic communications aren't picked up by the NSA and there the Supreme Court said that's not enough to get standing. But, you know, we we argued that uh, that's quite different. It would be as if Ted Cruz chose not to loan himself above the limit and and uh, argued, try to get into court by saying his decision to not loan himself the amount of money above the limit is the injury. And that would get him to where the journalists, I think, in Clapper would be uh, where they, they said their injury was they didn't call their clients. Uh, but the fact of the matter is he did loan himself the, the amount of money and actually suffered a $10,000 injury. And the court uh, agreed that was enough to get him there. Uh, and now there was a second uh, uh, standing issue here. And that's uh, also quite important to NCLA's mission. And that's the our government argued, OK, Ted Cruz, you were injured. Perhaps you were injured by this, but your injury was not because of the statutory limit on the contribution, the 250000 What you were really injured by is the regulation that uh, the uh, the FEC passed that implements the statute? Uh, of course, if if in the government saying there's two things, there's a statute and the regulation, and to the extent he was injured, he was only injured by the regulation, and he's not injured by the statute, and therefore he can't sue this uh, the statute. Now that's also a big problem for organizations like us, which uh, 
uh, brings challenges to unconstitutional statutes all the time. If you can only sue the regulation, then all that does is send the regulation back to the government and they can, you know, keep on repeat, rinse yeah. and repeat. Right. Recycling it. <laughs> Recycling. Exactly. So for example, uh, and, and, and we've seen that, by the way, in our PPP litigation, yeah. that basically happened to us. They kept changing the regulation while we were suing. Uh, because the problem wasn't with the statute in that case. It was with the statute was fine. The regulation was the problem. And they just kept changing the regulation until yep. finally the judge said, oh, OK, this version of the regulation is OK. <laughs> uh, you guys lose. Your case is mooted. And that would happen in every case right. if the government's Precisely. theory here was correct. In fact, like one of the big targets NCOA has is what's called the non-delegation doctrine, which is saying the government, this, the statute gives the agency too much power. Now, if you can only sue the regulation that the agency promulgates and not the statute, you can never essentially, you know, challenge any statute on non-delegation grounds. Uh, the same result would obtain in um, in structural challenges to, say, the way you know the uh, the um, SEC commissioners or SEC's ALJs are set up. Um, any reason why you picked that particular right, case? Well, <laughs> well we have. We this have, is the one we talked about last week right, on the show. As, that, as you uh, have it, we, we have a case about. challenging the structure yeah. of uh, the administrative judges in the SEC, which the Supreme Court just decided to hear last week. Uh, so that case would never have gone to the court if you weren't allowed to challenge the statute. You're only allowed to challenge regulations. Um, and, and of course, the, the, the Supreme Court here didn't buy that argument as well, uh, because under, under Article 3, what's important is that you were your injury is caused by this particular government action. And sure, Ted Cruz's injury is caused in some sense by the regulation, but the regulation itself, it's a, it's a, a creature born of the statute. And the, the government at or argument just conceded, hey, we, we don't have authority to issue this $250,000 regulation without a statute saying that the limit of uh, repayment is $250,000. So all you need to do is take this causation point one step back and you get to the statute. And that, that was enough for the Supreme Court uh, to rule in favor of uh, Ted Cruz on the standing issue. And, uh, and that's, you know, that's great for us, which means organizations like ours can challenge unconstitutional statutes going forward. Yeah. And, and congratulations, by the way, to, uh, to Chuck Cooper of the, of the Cooper and Kirk a law firm. Chuck is on the board of advisors here at the New Civil Liberties Alliance, and he was the person who argued this case and represented uh, the, the Cruz campaign at the at the Supreme Court. And And I, I don't know this for sure, but I suspect devised the strategy as well, although Ted Cruz himself is a constitutional lawyer. So you put those two uh, heads together. I'm, I'm sure that they d devised this uh, successful strategy to to bring down a portion of, of BICRA. Yeah. And again, we didn't get into the, uh, you know, the constitutionality of that BICRA uh or repayment requirement. Um, and, and the court wound up being 6-3, um, you know, six justices uh, siding with Ted Cruz and three dissenting. Uh, but that, that division was really on the substance of the First Amendment versus campaign finance regulation point. The three dissenters in their entire dissent did not mention standing, didn't mention the self-inflicted injury portion, didn't mention, you know, whether you had to sue the regulation versus the statute. So, so if I hear you right, there are nine justices who agree with us that Plessy would have been able to sue. I, I think so. I think <laughs> I'm going out of oh, a good. loop here, but I, I you know, I, I think we can get there. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, what any takeaways from this in terms of so so uh, is NCLA safe to continue bringing these kinds of lawsuits? In the I think I think not only are we safe to bring these lawsuits, I think the, the justices are encouraging us actively to uh, continue our pursuit. Uh, terrific. Any other takeaways that, that you see from uh, from the result here or any surprises or fun facts, anything like that? Uh, well, one fun fact is, uh, well, at our argument, the government's lawyer uh, 
argued, hey, this self-inflicted injury thing, it's as though you go into McDonald's, smell coffee on yourself, and sue. Uh, and that, that, for that reason, you know, Ted Cruz doesn't have standing. And, and, you know, I thought about that a little bit. And, you know, it kind of makes sense intuitively. But if you think about it as a legal matter, I don't think it's a standing issue. I think the government's trying to make a contributory negligence argument uh, uh, that, that he's technically somewhat conflict. But you don't have that in the constitutional not sense. Not the constitutional sense. Only you in don't. courts. That's right. Well, Shank, thanks for being with us on Administrative Static. Great job and congratulations on the win. Administrative static, and we've had a lot of victories, but I want to tell the denouement of one victory. You know, we filed a lot of cases on the CDC eviction moratorium, and uh, Mark and I have discussed it on this show. And eventually, this after two times uh, in Supreme Court, um, said, "No, you can't do that. CDC, you don't have that power. It's unconstitutional." For you to tell all these state courts that there can't be evictions of people who don't pay their rent. And a lot of the times people said, well, you know, the judges said, well, we're not going to put in an injunction because you can get money damages either from your your uh, impecunious uh, renter or from the federal government if they do something wrong. Right. So this was, in my view, completely a taking and had to be compensated under the under the law because it's if you prevent eviction, what you're doing, you're taking from the bundle of rights, one of the main rights of property, which is the ability to exclude, right? You can keep people from coming into your home. <laughs> you, if That's, the state says that anyone can come into your home, you really don't have a home, do you? Yeah, it's, it's a very important uh, stick in the bundle. Right. So so in any event, um, our, our friend John McDermott, who, um, who uh, represented um, the National Apartments Association that we had in, as a plaintiff in some of these cases um, has he got together a number of people who were uh, and companies who were badly hurt by this because they couldn't evict their um, tenants and then they couldn't they couldn't uh, get money from them so they sued in the federal court of claims and the United States Court of Federal Claims. What happens there is, is that it has exclusive jurisdiction of claims over $10,000, I think, under the Tucker Act. I'm not, I'm not, I think it's $10,000, but I'm not, I'm not in that court. So um, don't, don't cite Vecchioni for that, that number. But and, anyway, don't, and don't confuse the Tucker Act with Tucker Carlson. It doesn't have anything yeah, to do with, with Tucker. That's, ex that's exactly right. It, 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 it does not wear a bow tie. So in any event, it, <laughs> what's happened is, is, is that, you can go for money damages there. The United States waives its sovereign immunity, which is you can't sue them for money, as long as you sue them there in the federal court of claims. And, and there's a special law that's been developed about what type of claims you have. And I read this case. It's by a Judge Bonilla, who's a new appointment. He's, he's brand new, but he's been a longtime attorney. I mean, he's, he's got a lot of experience. When you say and brand new, Biden appointee or one of the last Trump appointees? Brand new, brand new Biden appointee. Okay. And, uh, and he starts it out, and I'll just tell you this. If you're a practitioner out there, when a case against the government about 
any kind of health matter starts with this. Contemporaneous with the publication of this decision, the United States reached the once unimaginable and grim milestone of 1 million deaths due to coronavirus disease, 2019. Uh, yeah. When they start well. like that, you're going to lose. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's just practice tip. Um, and then he does, he does pro, say, pro tip from John Vecchioni. Exactly. Um, and then, and then he, he does say that the, throughout this extraordinary time, and I would say, no, only six months after it all happened, the judiciary continues to serve the critical role of ensuring the policy decisions once reached are in accord with the United States constitution and federal and state law. Indeed, the true tests of enduring democracy and an independent judiciary come not in times of peace, tranquility, and good health, but in times of war, unrest, and disease. So I like that, but, um, but that's not what we're going to get here. And, and, and just to speed this up, I'll tell you what I'll tell you what happens. They had two claims. They had one, which was a takings claim, saying the government did this and took it from us. And then they had one that uh, the government had exacted uh, monies from them illegally. Now, neither of these claims survived. And here's what really the reason is, is that if the executive does this to you, you have to show for these takings claim that Congress either did it or ratified it. So if the if the government goes and an agency goes and takes your property, Mark, I, I didn't know this, and Congress hasn't ratified, it's a completely illegal act like the CDC's act was completely illegal and the Supreme Court says, nope, that's illegal and unconstitutional. If Congress hasn't ratified it or or told you to do it, um, you don't get your money. You, they, you've still had a taking but by the government, but since it's the one branch, I, apparently you don't get the money. I mean, I was shocked to learn that because I don't do this type of law. Yeah, um, that, that, that frosts my pumpkin, John. I mean, I, you, you've got the judges who wouldn't uh, order the evictions on the front end because they said that they were bound by the law and, and that you could get the damages later. And then when you go and seek the damages later, they say, oh, not so fast. We're going to change our minds now about whether that was constitutional or not, and uh, and it wasn't, and therefore you don't get your money. I mean, come on, come on. Right, That's and so just... he, go he goes through Alabama Association of Realtors, and he says, look, this was completely unconstitutional. This was so unlawful. I can't believe how unlawful it was. So, you know, you don't get anything because the government did this. But the real thing, you, you uh, the, the thing that I'm absolutely stunned by as far as um, – as, as far as uh, frosting pumpkins go, is that if Congress ratifies this, then you have a takings claim. And, and now he does point out that some of the apartment guys got money um, from Congress, so, but they're not looking for that money. They're, they're, they're not double counting. Yeah, so, except I'll tell you what bothers me about that, John, because I, I, I saw that in there too. But the government allocated money for the... Now, there, there could be some states where that's true, but in terms of the federal government... The money that was allocated for this was not allocated to the landlords. It was right. allocated to the tenants. And so you're then dependent on your tenant going and getting that money and giving it to you, which is there are many slips between that cup and that lip. There were. There were and these people hadn't gotten the money for various reasons uh, or it, it wasn't. Uh, but but here's what he says. So he goes through the whole So because Congress actually extended this thing. They, at one point, they extended it for another couple of months by Congressional action, action and appropriation. Yeah, at, the end of, at the end of December, they extended it through January 31st at, at one point. Yeah. 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 And he says, he says, well, you know, they did appropriate 
money. So I'm not sure they really approved of this CDC order or, or they were changing it. He says, at bottom, Congress's single sentence in the Consolidated Appropriations Act stating that the CDC order, CDC order and I'm quoting now, is extended through January 31st, 2021, is insufficient to explicitly and plainly show a purpose to bestow the requisite statutory authority on the CDC to enact a nationwide residential eviction moratorium under the Public Health Service Act. Now, come on, but it certainly is a ratification of what they did. It's ratification in any way you use that word in normal conversation or in the dictionary definition. Um, so, so for that reason, for that reason so that Congress didn't ratify it, they don't, they don't have a takings claim. And, and their property was taken by the federal government and it was done illegally. But the illegal nature of it is means that you don't get to sue the government, which is crazy. I mean, I really think that I really think that Congress ought to look into this because, you know, we don't have 1981. Oh, I, I think a higher court ought to look into this. I think the federal circuit needs to uh, needs to fix this on appeal. I think this is a this that's, is an outrage. That's, that's true. A higher court could fix the ratification problem, but not the problem that if the agency does it to you, you know, Mark, we, we, Bivens has been cut back. That's, that's the, uh, it's the made up judge law, basically, um, that, that you can sue federal officers for violating the constitution under certain circumstances. And I'm, I'm being very shorthand, but it was sort of created in the sixties and the courts since the seventies have been, have been cutting it back because it caused all these problems. But if a state official violates the Constitution or breaks the law and hurts your rights, you can sue that state official because of the Civil War amendments, at least for race and certain other reasons. Yeah. Section 1983. Uh, yes. Happens all the time. Yeah, exactly. And I think 81. I mean, so, so yes, you can do that. But there's no, there's no general statute that allows you to sue the government or the federal agent who broke the law, violated the constitutional rights, and took your money. I mean, this, this takings... Uh, decision with no ratification by Congress is absolutely crippling to any ability to stop the agencies from doing unconstitutional stuff. Because if the agencies, if the government could be hit by this sort of thing, and the agencies did all this sort of bad thing, we would, we would, it, it would, it would stop. So, so uh, I really think that I really think that um, there's no way. That this this should stand it, factually you're right mark it, it is the fact that uh this thing was ratified and everyone in dc knows this is another thing everyone in dc knows that both biden and trump were pressured by congress to keep extending this thing right i mean right was, unlawfully unlawfully correctly Co correct but it wasn't like you know, there was some big congressional outcry against it. They were they were in there talking to the administration all the time. So the way Washington worked, oh, I believe the squad had some sort of a, a a camp out on the steps of the Capitol or something, didn't they? Yes, yes, to to, to make sure it got extended. It got extended by all the administrations because they knew it was politically popular. And they had congressmen saying, you know, it we even got extended, John, after the Supreme Court said no more extensions. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. After the Supreme Court said, oh, we're going to allow you to do this since this thing's expiring. So we're not yeah. going to enjoin it. Um, I mean, that yeah. that what, was really I mean, you, the you may remember I wasn't a big fan of that decision, John. <laughs> and and uh, yes, I, I do recall that. <laughs> I, I have some I have some memory of it. 
But yeah, so they actually said, we're not going to grant an injunction since this thing's ending, which, you know, I didn't like it either, but it, it makes, and then they immediately extended it and put the finger right in the eye of the Supreme Court. Um, and, and they really needed the finger in the eye in order to come out with the right decision. But that right decision is now meaning that all these landlords have, haven't, uh, because they didn't say that Congress ratified it, although they did mention this thing that they did extend it for that month. Well, so, you mentioned Bivens, John. Were you were you get, were you going to say that that you think that you ought to be able to sue individual officers if they're going to say that you don't if it's not a taking and you don't get money from the government, then you should be able to sue whoever it is at the CDC that tried to say that this was and broke uh, the law that, and broke the, the law. Broke the law. They, they yeah. broke the law and they hurt you. And I I in private life, I mean, <clears throat> I think. Sheng brought that up about, um, you know, spilling coffee on yourself. Well, nobody spilled coffee on these people. The government spilled coffee on them. So anyways. Well, and you made the point, John, to me that other Article Three judges are going to follow this because this is right in the bailiwick of the, of the Court of Federal Claims. So it's a problem. Anyway, we'll see you next week, folks.